Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. This is going to be 2 Kings 25. And I'm going to call it Gone with the Sin. So Judah, they had turned away from God, though. They served other gods. So he sent Babylon, an enemy, to deport them away and take them captive. Now in 2 Kings 25, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Now, this was a military tactic. What you did is you didn't just attack a city, but your first advance was to make them weak first. You did it in phases. So what they did is they came to surround the city, and they would cut off their supply of food, maybe water, trade, everything, until everybody was too hungry, everybody was too thirsty, or they didn't even have enough to live for that matter. This made it a lot easier for a military to win. It made it a lot easier for them to come and attack if you've already weakened your enemy down. And that was the the point of this, to surround it, it to create less opposition. Second Kings 25, verse 4. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by way of the plain, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, And they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. Gosh, man, they don't play, do they? Um, And that was Nebuchadnezzar's own hand-picked guy that he picked to rule here. That was his own chosen man. And the last verse of chapter 24 says that Zedekiah rebelled against Babylon. Apparently, he got tired of being a puppet king, and he wanted to break free from Babylonian control, so he tried to go for it. But for his rebellion, look where it got him. And I think something we can learn from this here is that whenever you try to kick against a king that's a lot more powerful than you are, you are going to lose. A parallel I'm trying to make in this is that King Jesus is more powerful than you are. And if you try to kick against him, against Messiah Jesus, you're going to lose because he is a lot more powerful than you are. So what they did was they blinded Zedekiah. That was to ensure any future rebellion by him would be impossible. And they killed his sons in front of him. 
that's torturous enough. But the, the big purpose behind that is they wanted to cut off all the heirs to his throne. And again, I have to be reminded here that this is what sin does. It kills. Sin, when it is full grown, it produces death. And we're seeing it happen right here. Judah had lived for a long time with that old attitude of, I can live my life however I want to. I don't have to do what anybody tells me. It's my life, my way. But God refused to let this continue because when you say my life, my way, that usually means you've got sin that you want. You don't want to obey God. You don't want to obey any authority. So the attitude of I can do whatever I want, it's always going to get you in big trouble. You are always under authority. It's best to get under the authority of God, choose to be under God's authority. And Judah, they should have submitted themselves like that. They should have said, yes, Lord, you're right. We need to do the way you told us to do. They should have got under his authority and obeyed the Lord God, but they didn't. And so now it's time to reap what was sown. Second Kings 25, verse 8. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, okay, and I'm a, I'm a Texan, I'm a redneck, and these, these Hebrew words, they tear me up, okay? I'm just going to read them the way I see them, and you just take it as it is, okay? <laughs> king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, so I can even say Babylon now, okay? He had this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, I hope I got it. The captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. Now, this event here took place probably four weeks after Nebuchadnezzar broke through into Jerusalem. This captain here, it says he burned down the palace that stood for almost four hundred years. Everything's getting destroyed. You know, you start thinking, well, that's been there forever. Nobody's going to take it down. I hear people saying that about the United States of America. Oh, we've been here for so long. Nobody's taken us down. Guys, look at Judah. Look where their sin is getting them. The captain, he burned it down, a four-century-old palace, and the temple of the Lord is gone. It's burned. Now, you would think that God would have been angry about the temple being destroyed. Maybe you'd think, well, God could have done something about it. Why didn't he do anything about it? It Was this past God's control? Well, no, it wasn't. This was actually the Lord's will that the temple was to be burned. Second Kings 23, verse 27, where the Lord said that he would cast off Jerusalem, and that's the people of Judah in there too, and also the house of which he said, my name shall be there. That's the temple of the Lord God. That's his own temple that he had that enemy come in there and burn. So this was literally the Lord's will for his own temple to be destroyed. What was the purpose of this? So that anybody that passed by, when they saw how destroyed the great Jerusalem was, the people that were supposedly under God's covenant, well, what happened here? What, what's going on? They would say, those that knew would say, it's because they turned from the Lord God. So this wasn't to demonstrate that God can't hold up his covenants with his own people. 
This was to demonstrate to people what happens when you violate and turn from the Lord God and his covenant. It turns you over to your enemy. So no, this wasn't demonstrating, well, God can't hold his own people together. He can. The issue here is if you choose not to be held by God, if you choose not to be under God's covenant, you're going to end up in destruction. Friends, I'm telling you, get under the covenant of Jesus Christ right now as quick as you can. So this temple destruction and the burning of Jerusalem, that's now going to stand as a warning to everybody that saw or heard about it, that if you turn away from the Lord and you refuse to follow him, you refuse to obey him, it's going to get you in big trouble. It's going to be destructive. So this captain here, he burned it all down, God's will that he did it. And he destroyed a lot of sections of the city wall, it said. They tore a lot of city wall pieces down because that would keep Jerusalem from being defendable. You can't, I don't know if defendable is a word. It is now. Uh, You can't defend it when your wall's gone. So they're trying to take it down in layers. First, they went and starved the people out. Now they're burning stuff. Now they're taking walls down. These are military giants that know how to mess up a town, okay? But I want you to see more layers of the breakdown that's going on here. Let me take you back to 2 Kings 24, verse 14. There was a previous raid where it says, none remained except the poorest people of the land. Okay, so they had they took everybody out but the poorest people, but we just read here in chapter 25 that the captain of the guard carried away the rest of the people who remained in the city. Okay, so the poor people that Nebuchadnezzar left behind on the first raid, they had just been taken away by the second raid raid. They thought they got away with it. Well, the first raid didn't get us. We're okay. No, the second raid, now almost everybody is gone. It says, except for a few farmers, vine dressers here, who were left behind. And the reason they left them there is because Nebuchadnezzar wanted guys that knew how to take care of the land to keep the area from growing up and becoming way too wild. Uh, You know, if we're going to have this area, we might as well use it for something. We might as well produce. Pro, uh, grapes and all kinds of vegetation that we can use. Uh, maybe we can bail hay. I don't know. They, they're they going to use it for something. But other than that, other than these guys that are left just to maintain the land, everybody was now gone with the sin. Second Kings 25, 13. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces. They carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered, the fire pans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver the captain of the guard took away, the two pillars, one sea, and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord. The bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was eighteen cubits. And the capital on it was of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, and the network and pomegranates all around the capital were all of bronze. The second pillar was the same with a network. Okay, these capitals, uh, it was the, the, what was on top of a pillar, and it had pomegranate images in it because it was supposed to indicate that if you follow the Lord God, there will be fruitfulness. Okay, well, now there's... They're not being very fruitful. They're being destroyed. And the Bible's telling us all the pomegranates that were up there to show Israel 
If you follow the Lord God, you will be fruitful, you will be productive, you will have great provision. Now these things are being torn down. And it's kind of a painful read here because we spent a lot of time studying back when they were building all this stuff during Solomon's reign. Now, these items here that were for the tools, the priests that used, uh, they used them to conduct sacrifices with, those were taken away too, a lot of silver, a lot of gold. And the sea, as it's called, it says it was a sea. It was basically a big water tower. It was a big, huge bronze, a big old thing full of water so that when the priest did the animal sacrifice, they were cutting flesh and butchering these animals up. They needed this big water tank to rinse and, and clean and wash with. You know, if you've ever uh, cleaned a fish before, you need to have some running water typically to wash all the, the blood and the, the stuff that you don't need. you got to keep water running. So that was to help them with the animal sacrifices. And so these bronze pillars, though, that are mentioned here, I can remember how kings of the past, whenever they made a covenant with the Lord, they would go and they would stand by one of those pillars. And these two pillars both had names. And the names meant the Lord will establish, and one meant by his strength. So what they would do is they would stand by these pillars when they were going to say, yes, we're going to establish a covenant. They would The king would stand by the pillar so the people could see, oh, okay, this covenant is going to be established by the Lord God, by his strength. And so they would say, oh, yes, Lord, we will obey your covenant, and we know you want to establish it with us because he's standing by the pillar. All this imagery was going on. And yeah, God, we want to serve you. We want to follow you. But now these pillars were torn down. These pillars of covenant, of God establishing, of fruitfulness and provision that the people could have had if they had just stayed in obedience to the Lord God. But now these pillars are torn down. This is an illustration of how the people, they tore down their own commitment to obey the Lord God. They could have followed him, but they didn't. Now, if you want to know more about what all these items of the sacrifice uh, tools and the, the temple utensils, if you want to know what these were for, go back and listen to my teaching from 1 Kings chapter 7, and it tells you about when they made these things in Solomon's time and when they put them in the house of the Lord. But now they're being taken away. Sad. 2 Kings 25 and 18. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus, Judah was carried away captive from its own land. Now, friends, I know if um, if a rival nation said, we're going to attack you in your own country and we're going to beat you up and carry you away, you're thinking, well, I'm in my own land. I'll, you're not going to come take me out of here. But guys, look what happened to Judah. It happened to them. And I want to let you know about Ezra 7 verse 1 says that Ezra, the priest, Ezra is the son of Sariah, this guy Sariah here that we just read about. So Sariah and other priests were taken captive. They were taken away 
because they were the leadership. They were the most influential guys of Judah. They had the leadership influence ability to start up another revolt if they wanted to. Come on, people. We're your priests. We're your military guys. Let's go recruit a bunch of guys and let's start another revolt and let's take this back. And we're not going to let this happen. And the Lord sent this captain to weed them all out, to pluck them out of their own land. He went after them specifically and picked them up so that they could not start another revolt again. So the Chaldeans here, they were systematically removing anybody that could start up any future rebellion. And also the chief officer and his advisors were arrested. They're going after everybody. They know who these guys are. And they're not going to let anyone of any power, whether they were high and mighty or poor, nobody is going to start a revolt. And verse 21 gives us the finality here that God warned them. He told them this would happen. It says Judah was carried away from its own land. It's done now. It's finished. God said it was coming. They should have taken this seriously. But they didn't. Friend, I I know you may be listening to me and you're not a believer yet in Jesus Christ. You're living life your own way. And I'm telling you, you cannot kick against a king that's more powerful than you. I'm trying to tell you the gospel that King Jesus saves. For some reason, you haven't given your life to him yet. But I want you to be warned that at least so you can know that there's going to come a time when God says, enough's enough. You didn't listen to me. And you're going to be carried away by your sin, and then it's going to be done. My advice is make Jesus your Lord. He'll take your sin from you. He will take care of it. He will die on the cross with it so that you don't have to die with it. Jesus gets carried away with your sin instead of you. Jesus gets buried with your sin instead of you, and that's how you can be saved. But just know right now that you're warned. I know you're having fun right now. I'm too busy. I don't have time. It's just churchy stuff. I'm not interested. All that Jesus stuff. Yeah, whatever. And you're saying that now. But look at Judah. They were warned. Friends, I'm trying to warn you. If you don't take this seriously and get right with the Lord God, it's going to be your end. You're going to be dragged away captive and condemned like the people of Judah was. I, I just want you to be aware so that you can give your life to Christ. And you can, Judah could have listened at any time. They could have gotten right with the Lord God at any time, but they didn't. Friend, you can get right with the Lord Jesus right now. Question is, will you? Let's read on. 2 Kings 25 and 22. Then he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. Oh, here's my Texan troubles going on right now. <laughs> Redneck power activate. <laughs> the son of Shaphan. Here, let's just do it. Governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Now when all the captains of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethanah, here we go. Ishmael, the son of is talking about all the guys that came to see this new governor. Let me just boil it down quick because my tongue is all twisted up. And here's the guys that came, okay? It says, Ishmael, let me do it again, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, the son of Kareah, Sareah, the son of, Ta- <laughs> bear with me, Tan- Tanhunmeth, the Net- Netophathite, oh, goodness sakes, here we go, 
and Jezaniah. Hey, that sounds cool. Jazzy. It's Jazzy. Here comes Jazzy. Jezaniah, the son of, of a Macathite. Oh, if you're still listening to me, if you're laughing, great. If you're not, uh, you just want to get in the study. Well, I am glad I have you either way. Okay. These guys, uh, that's what I should have said. Uh, all these dudes, <laughs> it says they came to him and they heard he was the, the governor. And now I'm quoting from 24. And Gedaliah took an oath before them and their men and said to them, do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. So he was basically saying, hey, do whatever Babylon tells you. You better not cross these guys. Whatever they tell you to do it, you need to do it. But Gadaliah was a descendant of Shaphan. Do you all remember who Shaphan was? He was King Josiah's secretary of state. He's the guy that helped King Josiah do all those reforms to get everybody to turn back to the Lord again. So I want you to think a few chapters back when King Josiah, he gave orders, let's go count all the money that was brought in the offering so that they could use that money to restore the temple again. He sent this guy named Shaphan to oversee that work. Go check out the money. Let's make sure we get it all accounted up right so we can build the temple back up again. We're going to refurbish, redo, reformat, whatever, the whole temple right back up again. So here, this guy in chapter 25, this guy named Gedaliah that just got set up as governor, this is Shaphan's son. Okay, you think this is going to be good goings here, okay? Okay, we got a good guy, the son of a man that knew we needed to get right with the Lord. That seems to be just the thing we need, right? Maybe we can start a, a revolt out of this with this governor. Maybe he's playing like he's their guy. Okay, Babylon, I'll do whatever you tell me. We got a Babylon, pro-Babylon governor now, but he's really not. Maybe he's going to shake things up a little bit. Okay, well, wait a minute. It wasn't God's will for there to be a revolt. I want you to watch this, though. Gedaliah was also a friend of the prophet Jeremiah, and Jeremiah actually advised Shaphan, you need to cooperate with these Babylonians, because Jeremiah knew that the Babylonians were being used as instruments of God's judgment. Jeremiah understood what was going on. He didn't like it. It's like the way I look at my beloved United States of America. It's going down, and it's going down fast. I don't like it, but I understand it. I understand that the Lord God is trying to get people to turn back to him. They haven't, and so judgment is here. But anyway, we have this guy, Gedaliah, he seemed to have this pro-Babylonian stance. He told all these guys, hey, you need to do whatever they tell you. You do what the king of Babylon says, you'll, it'll go well with you. You'll live fine, but don't cross this man. So I think because he looked like he was pro-Babylonian, that's probably why he was chosen to be the governor, because they figured he would do whatever he was told. If the Babylonians said jump, he would say, how high do you want me to jump, okay? So Jerusalem was so destroyed... Gadaliah, the new governor, he set up his headquarters eight miles north of there at a place called Mizpah. So all these guys that I just had the hardest time trying to pronounce their name. <laughs> so it seems apparent that the reason why they came running to Gedaliah is they wanted to see what can we do about the Babylonians. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.